Let's praise him. Thank you, Jesus, that you accepted us. Hallelujah. We are accepted in the beloved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the promise of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to turn from that to kind of a dark subject. <laughs> but it's the subject that makes it all meaningful. Jason kind of already laid the groundwork for it. We're in Lent, and we're in a time of focusing on and considering our sinfulness. And really, God's acceptance of us and his mercy and his grace are really made meaningless if we do not admit our sinfulness. It really doesn't mean anything that Jesus died on the cross. It's almost a, a joke that he died on the cross for good people. It's almost a, a mockery that, that this great plan of salvation was cooked up for people who really were, didn't really need it, but just something that God wanted to show off. No, there's a really serious problem. And this message on sinning that I'm going to preach right now is very personal to me because I've preached too many unnecessary funerals of very young people. No way they were all predestined to happen. No way. There's no way. There's no way that all those funerals I've preached for very young people was predestined by God to happen, but wasn't but, but a result of the captivating, deadly power of this thing called sin. First Peter 2.13 says, Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as to the supreme authority or to the governors, or to him set to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. And now just notice, and if you read through the New Testament, there's so much admonition about behavior, how to behave. And, and here again, he's talking about how to behave. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. And he's talking to Christians. He's not writing this to the pagans or the people who didn't believe. He's writing to church people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brother. Take these words to heart. Listen to what God is saying to you this morning. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is, un he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because also Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. Now, he, he, he could have stopped there and it would still been a very meaningful passage. But he adds one more sentence. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. Now, I'm not going to suggest sinless perfection for any of us. I'm not going to suggest that we will arrive at being as holy and perfect as Christ was. But I am going to invite you into the arena of struggle. I'm going to invite you into the arena of struggle today because I think there's something to be lost hugely if we don't do it and much to be gained if we will. C.S. Lewis said, the Christian does not think that God will love us because we are good. Because that will be the contention of some, as you're saying 
that we have to be good before we are accepted. C.S. Lewis said it so well. The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Isn't that good? Simon Peter, it's kind of like with Simon Peter that I believe God addresses each of us. One day the Lord said to Simon Peter, you are Simon, but you will be Cephas. Cephas meant rock. I don't know what Simon meant, but it wasn't as good as being a rock. He had to face what, what, what Jesus was saying to Simon Peter that day was inadvertently, he was saying, you have to face your own unrock likeness before ascending to it. I got to tell you, Simon Peter, that's not who you are now. Okay, so don't get, don't get any ideas. You're not that yet, but you're going to be because of what I'm going to do in your life and because of the experiences I'm going to, the struggles I'm going to let you go through. Someone said this, and I don't know who said it, but I thought it was profound and I don't even know where I got it, but it said, we must stop believing the lie that to speak of what we must do or, or be, or, or not do, I meant to say, what we must not do or be makes us negative in a psychological damaging way. What is sin? The textbook definition of sin is missing the mark. That, that's the Greek word hamartano, hamartamo, I think it is. Whatever, you're not going to look it up, right? <laughs> Whatever it is, how you pronounce it, it means to miss the mark. So, so that, that's a very broad definition of sin. The psychological definition of sin that I got from Dr. Richard Dobbins many years ago that, I've, that, I, that I really, really find so helpful is that sin is a force that causes us to make decisions that decrease our divine potential. Sin is a force that causes... I, I think that, that that's in the app because that's a great definition. Sin is a force that causes us to make decisions that decrease our divine potential. The living definition of sin is anything that Jesus wouldn't do. That's just a safe way. If you, if you can't remember those other definitions, just anything that you can't imagine Jesus doing. It's kind of like art or pornography. You know it when you see it. He committed no sin, 1 Peter 2.22. It's preceded by the words, follow in his steps. Now, what about salvation? Well, salvation... It, when you receive Christ as personal Savior, I don't know, do we have, can I get one of those cards, uh, those decision cards? Is that one right here? Is that a decision card? Yeah, here we go. This is a, a Bethany decision card. And it, uh, it says, today I'm making a commitment to make Jesus Christ the center of my life. We teach that here. And that's the most important decision you can make in your life. The most important thing you can do, whether you sign this card or not, that's how you do it. But that's the most important thing you can do. And it says, uh, I'm making this choice for the first time or I'm recommitting my life today. What does that decision do for you? It changes your identity. God sees you differently. God now knows you. And there's a huge sermon in theology about that, that you begin to, you begin to be an individual in God. And the, the Bible talks about this judgment day that coming, that's coming. He will say to certain people, I never knew you. Well, the, what, what changes in your life when you accept Jesus and you, and you make him the Lord of your life, what changes very simply, and believe me, it's a more complex than this, but it's very simply, is you become known by God. And he, you, 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 the Bible says, now we are the sons of God. 
Now we're the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. You, you now have a new identity. The Bible says we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. You have a new identity. But you need to understand this. You have a new identity. But the ability to transgress is not surgically removed from you because you have a new identity. There was a period in my life when I, I let myself get hurt, hopeless, and I think even hateful. And I felt dark forces close in on me. I had a deep faith in God, though. And I would even say that I loved God throughout that period. But I lost a lot of self-mastery, I would say. I came out of it realizing we better not just pretend that sin is a problem for people out there. That we better not keep doing that. Today's message is about being willing to come to terms with our own inborn tendency towards sin. Years and years and years ago, but back 35 years ago, 40, I started trying to read uh, Alexander Skoltsenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago. I, I wasn't very disciplined, so I never finished it. But it's an amazing book, an amazing thing. If you don't know about him, Alexander Skoltsenitsyn is a hero of the 20th century and probably has as much to do with the dissolution of the Soviet Union as any one single person. Because he dared criticize Stalin, he was put in the gulag of Russia. And for 12 years, he was tortured and persecuted. But he made a very interesting discovery. It's one of the reasons he kept his sanity. He ended up spending most of his latter years in Vermont, actually, when he fled, and then ended up going back to Moscow and dying there. But the thing that saved his sanity was this. He realized, and, he, and there in prison, he faced his own sinfulness. He faced his own heart. He made the statement, in the book, he said, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were only necessary, to, it was necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? So he was able to come to terms with what was happening to him, and he even said it, and I don't remember his exact words, but one of the statements that he made in the book that I remember reading even way back then was, if I were in different position, I would do the same things my guards are doing. That is a, that is a deep, deep recognition that we have the ability to be evil and that it's not just somebody else. So I welcome you into the arena today to struggle with sin. Now, there are two sons that I want us to consider today. One is Cain, the son of Adam, and Jesus, the Son of God, because they represent the two paths that we must take, one or the other. They were both given the choice to conquer sin. One went into the wilderness after he was baptized and received the identity, his identity with the Father, which is not an accident that it's, it's, it's couched that way, that he received his salvation, really. He was baptized. This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased, which is exactly what happens to you and me. And immediately, the Bible says, he was led of the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. 
It's no accident that that's there. He went to the wilderness and battled with himself for 40 days. And the Bible says he returned in the power of the Spirit. That's powerful, man. That's really powerful. And we, we, need to, we, need to, we need to learn the lesson of that. We're going to walk in his steps. Those were his steps. Right? Now, Abel, uh, Cain, on the other hand, was disheartened by the fact that God had preferred his brother Abel's offering over, over his own. Abel's offering was the firstling of his flock. And Cain's offering was the fruit of the ground. And God preferred Abel's sacrifice. God did not reject Cain. God did not. God loved Cain so much he went and personally looked him up and talked to him and became his personal counselor. You can't get a better therapist than God himself. And God himself went to and let him sit on his couch and became his therapist and begged him to get control of himself. But his jealousy became jealous and fretful and bitter and angry. And he killed his brother Abel and he really lived a rather aimless life after that. And a couple of generations later, his grandson Lamech was the first to ever create weapons of war and murdered even more people than his grandfather. That's why you got to deal with sin. Because it spreads to the next generation. That's one reason. Those are two paths before us today. To imitate the virtues of Jesus. I want to put this up for you. I must admit that I'm not what I should be. That would be ridiculous to say, okay, we need to imitate Jesus, but actually you're already like him. <laughs> no, that, that makes no sense to say, Let's be like Jesus. Oh, never mind. We are like Jesus. No, when, when we say that, and when we read that in Scripture, and we're given that admonition, imitate Christ, imitate Christ, it's just, it's just um, a given. It, it's just self-evident that he says that because there's something more we need to become, that we're, we're, that we're not what we, we want to be. We're not what we should be. So I say this, to imitate the virtue of Jesus, I must admit that I'm not what I should be. Why would we be told following his steps if we were already doing it or if belief made it impossible to do otherwise? The culture around us is yelling and screaming at us about this. If Harvey Weinstein or Harvey Weinstein or a certain famous evangelist that I referred to earlier, if they had addressed the sexual sin patterns in their lives, would that have been good for them? Would that have been good for everybody? Would that have been a good thing or a bad thing for everybody? But they didn't. And no matter what their spiritual identity was or what it was not, See, it, it, because a Christian does the same thing as a non-Christian doesn't mean that Christianity doesn't work. In fact, it means it works because they both pay a price. The wages of sin is death for both of them. There's a death that occurs in their life. There's a hell that they go to for both of them. So either way, it affirms that when I act like a certain way, I pay a certain price for that. And the Lord says, I, I, I want to pull you back from that. And I want to show you a different path. And we're going to get to the good news today because there's a ton of good news. But first, we need a, a, one major insight. And, and this is, I know you're going to say, this is silly. We already know that. Well, I think you probably really know half of it well. 
but the other half you may not know so well. But maybe you do, because you're, you're very smart people. You really don't need me, honestly. <laughs> Sinning is bad for you, but you will love it. <laughs> That's Now, don't argue with me, because both things are true. Sin is bad for you, but you will love it. And that should terrify you. That should terrify you that if you try something that's sinful, you will thoroughly, at some point, like it. And you'll want to do it again. Don't look at me like that. Scripture says of Moses, he chose, in Hebrews 11.25, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. When I was uh, also, you know, uh, when I was 12, another thing happened in the world besides the song uh, The Lord Accepted Me being recorded was something very dark and terrible called the, the Myla Massacre. And I never wanted to know about it until I started studying for the sermon. I didn't want to think about it. I would never let myself even go read an article about that, that thing that happened in Vietnam 50 years ago. Uh, March 16th, 50 years ago, a group of American soldiers went into a Vietnamese village and uh, slaughtered about 500 uh, civilians, women, children. And not only, uh, I, I realized that, why I never read about it, because it's so horrible. They didn't just go shoot them. They tortured them. They cut their tongues out. They raped the women. Unbelievable. These are Americans. These are American soldiers. You see, the week before, a, a sar sergeant that, that was much loved by them had been murdered by the Viet Cong, or been killed in battle. I guess we call it murder, but whatever it is. And that was churning inside of them when they went that day. And uh, boy, when I, when I read some of that this week, it was, man, how does that happen? There were 190 American soldiers. I'll bet, I'll bet a couple of them were, were born again Christians. How does that happen? How can you explain that if there's no such thing as a sin nature and that sin doesn't reside in our hearts? Hugh Thompson was a helicopter pilot who was the hero that day. And Hugh, Hugh Thompson flew his helicopter to the area and he looked down and he saw dead children and old people lining the roads. And he landed his helicopter and he stepped out of his helicopter with his men, and they faced the American soldiers and said, if you don't stop, we're firing on you. And fortunately, they stopped. And he blew the whistle. Of course, our government covered it up and all of that horrible stuff. But I, I watched a... Hugh Thompson died a few years ago. I watched an interview with him, and he was asked, why did it happen? And he said, bad leadership. You know, when he said that, I thought, that's how fragile our moral foundation is? That a bad leader can unleash our inner dragon? 
Is that how he, he was also asked this question? Because he went, he went back to base camp screaming about what was happening and what had happened. And he was asked, and he, he was subsequently uh, uh, shunned for what he had done, the heroic thing he had done. He was asked in this interview by the, by, by the BBC, can you ever forgive the people who did that? He said, no. He said it without equivocation. No, I know the pain and suffering they inflicted for no reason whatsoever, he said. No reason. He said it twice. When he said that, I thought, you know, sin is unreasonable. In the end, in the end, we don't sin strategically. We sin because we like it. We sin because we like how it makes us feel. Every murderous tyrant in history murdered and oppressed long past the point that it had any utility or strategy. You look at, the, look at it. Hitler, Mao, Stalin, they all murdered and oppressed and imprisoned people long after it, it, long after it had any reason. Long after it was, in the beginning, it was politically strategic to do it. In the beginning, it was politi- politically strategic, but they couldn't stop. Hitler couldn't stop murdering. Couldn't, he could not stop murdering the Jews even when he was losing the war. He couldn't stop. Because there was something about it that's satisfying. There's this a story, other story that uh, uh, um, Skolzenitsyn tells about um, being at a meeting miles away from Moscow. And uh, Stalin was there and they begin to applaud Stalin for his uh, accomplishments. And, and I mean, Stalin killed like 30 million people. If you can get your brain around that. And they begin to applaud him. And the problem was, once the applause started, everybody was, there, was, there wasn't anybody who wasn't af- that wasn't afraid to stop being the one applauding. So they applauded, and the, pl- the applause went on for like 11, 12 minutes, and people were, their hands were hurting, and they were about to have a heart attack from applauding so much. Finally, the director of the paper factory where they were finally decided enough was enough. He stopped clapping and sat down. And to, then to a man, everyone else stopped clapping. And that same night, the dire- that director of that paper factory was arrested and sent to prison for 10 years because he stopped applauding. And during his interrogation, he was told, don't ever be the first to stop applauding. That's how evil. That's how evil the human heart is. The notorious oppressors of history were unable to stop long after it was, wasn't strategic to harass, torture, murder, and imprison. Now, the reason you don't stop offending people, now let's bring it down to us. Now, I know that, I know those illustrations are way, way too much for any of us to handle. And, and I don't, you know, that's like 99.9% people in the world don't do those, don't go that far. But the same dynamics work in the human heart is what the Bible teaches us. And the reason, see, the reason you don't stop offending people when you know you're offending them is, you begin to like how it makes you feel. The reason you don't stop being unkind when you're being unkind is because you start to like how it makes you feel. The reason you don't stop being neglectful when you know you're being neglectful is you like how it makes you feel. The reason you don't stop dominating people when you know you're dominating them in an unhealthy way, you you start to like how it makes you feel. See, we always, here's how it works. We always start any new sin pattern strategically, but we end addictively. 
I said, we start strategically. We start. They rejected me. And I don't like how that feels. And I'm going to reject them back. So I feel better. I'm going to gossip because I'm going to gossip and talk. I'm going to talk trash about somebody. I'm going to talk bad about somebody because uh, it will make me feel better. To, to make me feel better, I'll have to bring them down. I won't feel so unholy if I bring them down. So we talk trash about people. So first, it's strategic. It has a reason in the beginning. And so you do it again, and you do it again. And one day it becomes a habit, and you no longer do it because you want to feel better. You no longer do it for any strategic reason, even though that strategic reason was pretty evil. But you don't even do it for that reason. You do it because your brain is now chemically rewired because it causes endorphins to trigger in your brain, and there's a chemical response in your brain. All addictions are chemical, by the way. They're all chemical, not just drugs and alcohol. All addictions are chemical because sin, you are so wired that sinful behavior sends pleasure to the pleasure centers of your brain. That's why you've got to be careful with sin. I, 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 let's bring the keyboard back. Let's do <laughs> the Lord accepted me. This is dark. We're, we're going we're gonna to get out of, the, out of the pit here. Just hang with me. We cry to be affirmed. That is true. And we should do that. But we also cry out to be told, what's wrong with me? Help me. We cry to be challenged. We really do. We want this. By the way, how can you have any conversation about coming like Jesus if we're just fine the way we are? Praying the sinner's prayer is that powerful thing, but... God has something more. I think, I think we're in a, a fantastic time right now, by the way. I think we're making a turn. I think people are starting to say, I want the church to help me get better. I don't just, I, I, yeah, we still want the church to affirm us. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong to want compliments and there's nothing wrong to want affirmation. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be told that you're great and you're amazing because you are great and you are amazing and you are beautiful and you are wonderful. You are an image bearer of God. And that is all the more reason that you want help with those ways in your life where you know you're not bearing the image of God and you know you're hurting yourself and you're hurting others. I don't know if any of you have even followed the Jordan Peterson phenomenon that's really going around the world. His, his videos have had uh, uh, 36 million views, I heard the other day. 36 million views. One interview was over 6 million people. And I, I watched one particular lecture he gave at Queens College in Canada the other day. In that auditorium, there were protesters outside, of course, and, and that's a whole other story of why people are protesting him. But... Uh, there were 900 people in that auditorium, mostly young men, mostly young men, and of all race. There were, there were white, black, uh, Middle Easterners, all race and all people. But there were mostly young men in their 20s who were filling that auditorium. These, and as they begin to come, you know, and what's, what's his message? His message? His message to them is to get your act together. Jordan Peterson's message is to get your act together, straighten up and fly right, clean your room. These are the things that he's telling these young men. 
he's preaching and he also uses the Bible. He's, he doesn't really identify as a Christian. I'm not saying he's a Christian, but, but he's using the Bible to identify behaviors that will make life better. And he's teaching them to begin to do something about the chaos in the world. He's teaching a message, a hardcore message of personal responsibility. And these young men are eating it up. And they're going to the microphone and asking great questions, intelligent. These are, these are graduate students. These are people of high intellect. These are people who are accepted in the great universities. And they're going and thanking him for changing their life. Young men are lining up. He's right now in a tour in Australia. Every venue is completely sold out. And young men are coming weeping saying, you changed my life because you're telling me about personal responsibility. I believe that there's a hunger that's welling up within us. Yes, we're glad that we've been told that we're wonderful and we're glad we got the trophies and we're glad we've done all of that. that we're glad about all the self-esteem we've learned about for the last 30 or 40 years. Yeah, that's super. That's great. But I want to get better. I want to get better. I want to become like Jesus. I want to, I want to, conquer, I want to conquer sin, that thing that's destroying me, that, that thing that's causing me to preach funerals of people that are much too young, that thing that is breaking marriages apart, that thing that is causing people to be hopelessly addicted to all kinds of things, that thing that is pulling Western civilization apart. I want to conquer that. And, and if I follow Jesus to the cross, through the cross, I will make it to the resurrection and I will sit with Christ in heavenly places. Amen? I wish that every heartfelt experience with Jesus Christ would leave us magically transform creations, incapable of being mean, incapable of being manipulative, destructive, dominant, sexually immoral, or completely ruled by self-interest. I wish we all want to, you know, we all want to avoid eternal hell, but what about the hell that's here and now? Sin brings us to hell in the here and now, and that's undebatable. You heard about the church bulletin that said, Sermon, what is hell? Underneath, come early and listen to the choir practice. <laughs> no, it's much worse than a bad choir, much worse. Heaven is intimate fellowship with God and God's family. Hell is separation from God's presence and God's people. Heaven is the place where I'm ruling alongside Jesus to bring orderliness, harmony, and love to the realm I inhabit. Hell is when I'm ruling with Satan to bring disorder, confusion, disharmony, and hatefulness to the realm I inhabit. Heaven is warm. Hell is cold. Heaven is bright. Hell is dark. Heaven is me blessing. Hell is me cursing. Heaven is us cooperating. Hell is us dominating. Heaven is where Jesus is. Hell is where he is not. People who care about people have to be anti-sin because it's bad business. Oh God, what do you have to do to make me good? Make me holy. If I behave badly, everybody pays a price for that, including myself. God, help me to be better. I may not be perfect, but I want to get better. Okay, so that's number one, is that sin is bad, but you will like it. <laughs> that's the first thing. We got that? Got it? All right. Second thing is, here, here's why. You know, you, I, I know you wonder, why does the Bible say, stop doing that, and stop doing that, and thou shalt not? You know. I, I, I used to think, well, uh, okay, thou shalt not was Old Testament, and New Testament, there's none of that. <laughs> but I kept running into, Scott, I kept running into, thou shalt not, Jesus had a bunch of, don't, 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 stop, don't. 
Paul had a bunch of don't stop. And it's just like, just, just, I just figured it out. And this is worth coming to church for. I mean, if you didn't like the song, this is worth coming to church for. Why, did he, why does he say stop? Why does he say don't? Why does he say no? Remember a few years ago, we, we were told we would raise warped, unhealthy children if we told them no? And some of you tried that, right? It, it just didn't work, did it? You just can't do that. You just got to have... It. But here's why. It's not because God's negative and doesn't love you. And he didn't just have a split personality. He's not schizophrenic. He was Old Testament angry God and the New Testament nice God. You know. That's not how it works. Here's why. Oh, you already put it. They gave it away before I was ready to say it. Stopping a bad behavior is easier than starting a good behavior. That, doesn't that make sense? That the easiest thing to tell you is stop. Stop doing that. That's much easier than giving you this elaborate behavioral plan for doing things good. It's much more sensible and easy to hear, don't. Stop. Don't do that anymore. I totally understand when we start talking about sin, but it's too bad because our avoidance of talking about sin is based on a very wrong assumption and very bad psychology. It has to do with a modern belief about self-esteem. It goes like this. If I tell people they're wrong, it will hurt their self-esteem, and they will, A, not think I love them, and B, it will actually make them worse because it's believed that we act out of self-perception. So if I can tell you you're great, then you'll act great. Actually, from my experience, some people are helped. Some people are helped by a more positive self-perception. Some people are not. <laughs> But the fact is, telling people they can do better is the highest form of positive reinforcement. My dear friend and late departed Hugh Corey would, would put his hands, if you transgress, he would, he would take his hands in his face like this, and he would go, you're a better man than that. Now that's convicting, but that's elevating. That's elevating. There's an even more important reason than self-esteem to tell people they're wrong, and that is simply what I said. It's easier to stop a wrong behavior than it is to start a good one. So why not? Let's, let's, let's talk to our, one another about doing the easy thing first. Now, now we're going we're gonna, to, yes, we're going to teach you about how to do noble and grand things and how to have grand visions for your life, but how about if we first just tell you to stop being so angry? Just stop hurting people's feelings. Just stop taking those drugs. Just stop sleeping around. Just stop. I'm telling you, we have missed it because we were so afraid of being negative that we've not given people the very easiest advice for them to follow. And they're welcoming. They actually want it. So you don't have to learn about something you're unfamiliar with. You're already, you're already familiar with your bad behavior. We're not having to teach you about a whole different thing. You already understand it. And it's not so daunting. And there won't be as much internal resistance as trying to develop a whole new way of being. And it gives you something to feel good about right away. Hey, uh, where's our uh, uh, CR leaders? Are they here today? Just you're here today. Now, you guys uh, do this thing like chips, right? 
And, and if somebody says, give me an example of uh, the things you give chips away for. But by the way, CR is a great program and they're having great results. And I tell you, they're not a bunch of, they're not feeling all shamed and full of poor self-esteem up there. They have tons of self-esteem and they're just off the charts with self-esteem up there. But every week they meet and they, they tell each other where they're wrong. They tell each other what to stop doing. Isn't that a great that you have a program in your church that's every week telling people, no, stop doing that. I, I, I don't know. That's not hitting you the way it hits me, but I just think that's fantastic that we have. Oh, okay, so what, what do you give the chips away for? Yeah, we, we, I'm not saying it's not. Yeah, we believe it's your decision. <laughs> They get a red chip if they stop cursing their spouse out, right? CR is, is, is built around addiction recovery programs that have been around for 100 years. And it actually came out of Saddleback Community Church, Rick Warren's church. And, and so if there's anybody that believes in grace and love and mercy, it's Rick Warren and Saddleback and God has a purpose for your life, Rick Warren. You know, you got some chips there, huh? Well, uh, we shouldn't ask, right? We should. <laughs> we should do that for the whole congregation. We, we should do it for the whole congregation. So, and you, you don't feel all condemned and all that? No? You feel good? They, do, let me ask, you feel better about yourself? Absolutely. Give me five. <laughs> or was I? The temptation of Christ, the ministry of Jesus. This is so incredible. The ministry of Jesus began with him clarifying to the devil Three things he would not do. Now, he, he had just been anointed as the son of God. But the Lord says, I want you to go tell the devil, no. I want you to go set, let, let the adversary know what you're not going to do and what you're not going to tolerate. And so he does it. He, the three things he wanted to do, making clear what he would not do any longer or what he would not begin to do. That preceded the vision of what he would do. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? There's something so ennobling about saying no to evil. Jesus kept it simple. No man shall live by bread alone. No, I won't do that. I won't make the stones into bread. No, I, I'm not going to worship you because you shall worship the Lord your God and on him only will you serve. And uh, all those things. And no, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He didn't get into a long discussion with the devil. He just told him no. And the Bible says in Matthew 4.11, after I believe he was just physically exhausted with his struggle against sin. And that's something that you need to understand is you're not, this is going to be a struggle. This is going to be a struggle, but you're going to win it. Look at your neighbor say, I'm going to win it. Amen. Matthew 4.11 says, when the devil went away, the angels came and took care of Jesus. And then Luke 4.14 says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. 
For Jesus to develop his life and his ministry was going to take three years. But establishing the basis of his moral character took 40 days. That's why you start there. Students, I want to give you students some advice. Go think about your moral character and the kind of person you want to be before you think about the grand vision of what you want to do with your life. I want to say it again. Go think about your moral character and the kind of person you want to be before. Now, you need to do that too, okay? But before you start trying to develop this grand vision for your life. Because I could tell you so many stories of people, they went ahead with a grand vision, going to solve human trafficking or whatever, which is great. We want, you to have, we want you to have that grand vision. But they never dealt with the moral character issue. And it comes back to bite them. Deal with it first. If Jesus had to do with it, follow his steps. You will be a happier person. You will be a happier person. And the people that have to live with you will really be happier. <laughs> Finally, oh, it's 1130. I got to wrap up here. And this is so exciting. This is a whole sermon series, this last talking point. God has built into us the power to stop sinning. He's built into it, right into us. The story of Cain and Abel. God said to Cain, if you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is lying in wait for you, ready to pounce. It's out to get you. You've got to master it. Now that is actually not the best translation of that verse. The King James Bible says thou mayest. And the word for thou mayest, it's a Hebrew word that you probably are familiar with if you've read East of Eden. The Hebrew word is timshel. John Steinbeck back in East of Eden said that timshel, or some pronounce it timshol, is man's ability to choose between good and evil. And he said, John Steinbeck said, it's the most profound truth he had ever seen. It actually meant thou shalt rule over or thou shalt control. The general interpretation of that word is along the lines, if you conduct yourself well, you shall bear up well. And if you do not conduct yourself well, sin lies at the door, but you shall manage to control your impulses. And in fact, well, let me give you one more thing on that. And this is the Jewish translation from a document I don't know much about, but called the Shamash. I think that's how you pronounce it. C-H-U-M-A-S-H. It says this. Here's what it says in the, this Jewish um, uh, translation. If you do not improve yourself, sin rests at the door. Its desire is toward you, yet you can conquer it. I don't know about you, but I get that's good news to me. There's incredible evidence that you can control your impulses. You can do this. You've been told that you can't, but the people that are telling you that are wrong. You can. I, I, I don't hear, you know, I go to Target and Big Y and other places in the area, in Walmart, and I don't hear a lot of cursing and yelling there, but I, I understand there's a lot of cursing and yelling in some of our homes. <laughs> But you say, of course not. That would be embarrassing if I behave that way in a public place. Ah, I caught you. You do have the ability to control that. 
because you control it at, Sh at Shaw's and Big Y and Target, but you don't control it at home, that's good news. You can do it. Just pretend you're at Target all the time. <laughs> Another thing I know the CR folks will, will relate, when we're visited with the consequences of our behavior, Sandy, isn't it true? A lot of us find out we can control ourselves. When sin bites us and we realize the consequences, or for some of us, it's in a doctor's office. And we just couldn't, we just couldn't quit whatever that was. And I don't want to name anything because you might feel condemned. But so the doctor says, this is killing you. All of a sudden, you can do it. You could have done it all the time, but no one taught you you could do it. No one taught you that, 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 you, that you didn't need some amazing experience. You didn't need to be transported into the heavenlies. You didn't need to have some vision. It was already within your power. In fact, you're, you're behaving really well right now, and I know you're not all that well behaved. <laughs> it's so important that I tell you today in conclusion that the magical Jesus carpet ride over the impulses of sin is seldom the way it is. That battling through the wilderness with our urges and impulses, deciding I want a meaningful life more than I want revenge or, or sex or drugs or people's approval. When you get that clear, you can follow Jesus into the most amazing and meaningful life you've ever imagined. Here's what I can offer you. I, I, I cannot offer you a magical carpet ride over all of our impulses and stuff. Though, sometimes God does that. Here's what I can offer you, though. I can offer you that here in this room at this church, I can offer you that this room is full of people who are struggling just like you. And if you will be humble with us, we'll hold you close when you stumble. We will. Because people have helped me close when I stumbled. We will cheer you on when you struggle. And we will celebrate like crazy when you succeed. We will. And every single dark force that tries to capture you and take you to hell, we will stand with you against it. Is that good enough offer for you to join me in the struggle? Will you join me in the arena? God's promise is that faithful fighters win. God's promise is that faithful fighters win. I want to I I throw out the playbook right now, what we usually do. We usually have prayer partners come in. I want prayer partners to be ready. Small group leaders, help me out today. I just feel like all morning long, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, this is going to resonate with some people. And there's some people that want to get in the struggle. And they know they're struggling. They know what it's like. And they know the hell that they're going through. But they want out of that hell. And they want prayer. And they want help. And so I want every person, please don't take a long time to think about it. Just do it. Every person in this room is say, you know, I'm, I'm somewhere in the struggle. But I want, I want to win the struggle. I want to join the struggle. I didn't know I was in the struggle until I heard this sermon. I thought I was just had to just, just accept this. 
and until God came and miraculously took this away from me, I just had to accept it. I didn't know till today that I have to get in the arena with Christ and I have to go to the wilderness and I have to tell the devil, no, no, no. And I have to plead with so old timers. We used to, oh, this is old timer theology or, or communication, but I don't know how else to say it. We have to plead the blood of Jesus. But to plead the blood of Jesus and we have to demand in the name of Jesus that the powers of hell let us go and we're not going to put up with it. We're not going to tolerate it in our home. And we're not going to tolerate it in our life. And we're not going to let the devil keep destroying our marriages and destroying our lives and destroying our children. The Bible says in the book of, in the book of Deuteronomy that the beast of the field, the beast of the field will, will rob you of your children. And that's what's happening in America today. The beast of the field are robbing us of our children. I've about had it. I don't want it anymore. And I know that the secret is God's people. It's not somebody in some university. It's God's people in the church of Jesus Christ who will stand up and say, no more, no more. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So stand up, everybody. And if you, want to, if you want to join us in prayer, run down front. Come on down front. If you want to get in the struggle, you know you're one of the people I'm talking to. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God is good. God is good. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Come on down if you want prayer. Come on down. Step on out. Step on out to the front. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Brave, courageous people who will admit. Say, I want in the arena. I want in the arena. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to struggle with Jesus. And I'm going to come in the back in the power of the Spirit. Sing us a song, worship team, while others come.